Genuine faith should not be blind faith. In these segments of Why I Believe, we're going to explore genuine evidence for genuine faith. Hi, and welcome to Why I Believe. My name is Christian Copacciano, and I'm here with Michael Engelbert and Bradley Martin. Welcome, gentlemen. Hey, Christian. We're going to spend some time over a series of talks, shows, podcasts, um, talking about intelligent reasons for having faith, for believing in God in this age of of reason, of science, of data. um, How could people truly, genuinely uh, believe in God? And I'm glad that I've got you two here because uh, knowing a little bit about each of you, you've studied at secular universities uh, and you're not the kind of people who seem to be, um, you know, let on a shoestring. Now, tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. Who are you? What have you done? What's your professional background before doing radio? Sure. Currently, I'm helping to coordinate the work of Faith FM around Australia. That's my role at the moment. By profession, I'm an industrial automation engineer. I studied mechatronics engineering at uni, and yeah, that's that's sort of where I come from. Mechatronics, that sounds really cool. Yeah, mechatronics. lots of fun with robots and automation. Yeah, so obviously you're using a lot of science, data, reason. Um, it's not really some sort of abstract, theoretical, uh, airy-fairy, fancy stuff. I was never into the arts and the airy-fairy, no. <laughs> no, no, okay, very <laughs> It had to good. be all very concrete. I just didn't quite gel. <laughs> very good. Thank you, Michael. Brad, what about yourself? Um, so I studied at the University of Newcastle, I studied communication, so my major area was in media production, mm-hmm. but I always really enjoyed the academic side of things, mm-hmm. and particularly in communication, one of the things that gets hammered into you is to understand how messages are created so you can create them yourself. Mm-hmm. And I guess a side product of that is being very cynical, very much a skeptic about any message that comes across to you. Mm-hmm. You never take something at face value. You always understand that there's a purpose, a meaning behind it. For the most part, people are trying to sell you an idea or a product or whatever it might be. So for me, in terms of my faith, that's actually been really good. Excellent. So both of you are young, I would say relatively young. Um, <laughs> you both go to secular universities. You've been challenged to think for yourself. You studied um, uh, the sciences, engineering. You've been taught to be skeptical, yet you both believe. Now, I can say that I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to believe technically. <laughs> uh, but uh, even for myself, you know, being involved in business, in trade, in all sorts of different things, you're always using your mind. And yet here we are, the three of us. We believe in God, and we believe there is a reason for faith. So we're going to explore that. How could young people in this day and age have a reason for faith? Now, we're going to start talking briefly just a little bit about the scientific world and the scientific method. Um, Often when we think of science, we have this idea that if it says this is scientific or if it's in a scientific journal or paper or book or class, it automatically must be true, and there's no other way of looking at the world. Is that the case? Uh, that's what people often think very like superficially, but it's definitely not the case. Like, I mean, anyone in the academic area, you, you, you think about what's the motive behind this, you know, who's funding the research, all of those questions immediately come to mind. We're, we're in a mm. world of skeptics more and more. Mm. Yeah, I remember reading, um, someone, someone referred me because I'm interested in health and things like that. And someone referred to me this paper the other day talking about how coconut oil is horrendously bad for you and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who did this study. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'd heard in other things that, you know, coconut oil is incredibly good for you and that sort of thing. So I scrolled down to the bottom of the page and you see that this 
this research was sponsored by the canola industry. <laughs> and so like, oh, yeah. So, yes. So there's yes. science and there's scientific research, you know, and you have to try and determine the difference between the two. Yes. It's not an easy thing. I mean, we, we live in an area where people were questioning things, but at the same token, questioning too much is considered bad. You know, like, yeah. um, so, you know, if people starting to doubt everything, you know, oh, you're off with these conspiracies, that sort of thing. So it's, it's a real dichotomy. You know, people mm. on both sides of things, people questioning a lot more, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff that people don't question. Mm. It's, What's yeah. interesting is that we've, we've come to a, a, a time um, in society where you're allowed to question some things, but mm. it's politically incorrect to Absolutely. question some other things. And yeah. the reality is science has benefited humanity mm. tremendously. We think of all the diseases that have been eradicated, all the problems that science and technology has solved. Sure, it creates some, um, but it really has benefited. Humanity is better because of the scientific method and the scientific, uh, I guess, world out there. But what I think we forget is that most, if not all, of the amazing scientific discoveries that have made the world a better place were often done on on the extremes were often done by people who questioned the status quo who often were maligned and were challenged and were unappreciated by their peers because they really pushed the envelope Galileo, um, for instance. Yeah, I mean, you can start with Galileo and, and go through a whole list of names of people saying, no, that's not the way it is. There's got to be a better way we need to explore and question. Uh, today, though, um, while in some fields we're still allowed or encouraged to challenge, um, if it's generally accepted in a textbook, you should never question that. And the reality is it's not mm. that kind of thinking that has progressed society. It's the at the edge questioning everything thinking that has really brought us to where we are today. Mm. I guess yeah. the thing to know is like in our society, there's certain taboos and topics. And mm. I mean, in Australia, we're in a very atheistic society and I've lived and worked in a very secular um, community amongst people predominantly atheistic. And there's some topics you just don't go there unless mm. uh, unless someone has an openness to even think outside what their thing is. You, you just, like working in a power station for many years, one of the things that really got me in the mind, you've got this um, huge conglomeration of coal just all in the one place. There's very little evidence of like layers and certification except on a big scale. And it's like, to me, it's like, you know, as a Christian, I can fit that very easily to the the model of mm. the, the flood that's described in the Bible. That just makes yes. perfect sense of a whole heap of matter just getting swamped into the one place. You know, how it could possibly have like built up in layers over a huge amount of time. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet, um, if I dared to mention that to anyone, you know, in there, it'd be, you know, like just down your throat like a ton of bricks. You know, you dare not question the things within the within whatever culture. And I only just use that as an illustration. Mm. Um, but there are certain cultural taboos that you dare not go near to for fear of having everyone jump down your throat. The good thing is our radio studio door is locked, so Great. we can talk about anything <laughs> and challenge anything. Um, when you look at the scientific method, it usually relates to the kind of things you can observe that you can test, that you yes. can touch, that you can feel. Uh, it doesn't really get into faith. And that's why often faith and science are seen as a contradiction. Um, you know, faith is something that you can't see, that you believe in. Science is something that you can obviously touch, experiment, repeat, replicate, prove, and, and so on. Um, you both have probably more experience than that. So what I want to do is, is uh, explore only one particular aspect of uh, the concept of, of evolution, which is, I guess, a bedrock or a cornerstone of, uh, of 
the way of looking at the world that science has given us. Uh, and we're not going to go into biology and chemistry and all those complex things that I'm not an expert in and that others are much better at. But we're just going to take one very simple question. Um, and that's where did everything come from? And when you ask, I guess, the scientific community at large, um, where did we come from? What would be the stock standard answer? Where did everything begin? They would probably say that's not a simple question because <laughs> that's what I'd say. But uh, Think of high school. Think of textbooks. Where would that? Where, type it in. Where did we come from? Where did we start? Apes or Big Bang? How far you go back do you want to go? <laughs> uh, absolutely. And they're probably both, you know, with children, you often start with the ape theory and then you get a little bit more technical. You get through to senior high school and then it comes to the Big Bang. And I know that's what I was exposed to when I went through high school, university as well. The Big Bang. The question that has been asked, and I want to explore the answer a little bit more, is who made the Big Bang? What, what have you read or heard or seen about that as you explored that question? Well, I mean, the typical scientific answer is a singularity existed. Mm-hmm. And from that singularity, of which we don't know what it even is, we don't know if it was energy or, or even matter or even anything, that's where everything came from. Mm. And again, you do, you do obviously have that question, where did that singularity come from? Well, there's no real reasonable answer. I read something just recently, a few weeks ago, saying that before that singularity, there was another singularity. <laughs> uh, I remember, uh, I think there was an anecdote about Russell Bertrand uh, was trying to convince uh, an audience about, uh, I guess, the merits of evolutionary theory. Um, and uh, there was a woman who said, everything you're saying is absolute rubbish. And he said, well, ma'am, How do you see the world? Where does it fit in? Where does it sit? And she said, well, the world is on the back of a large turtle. And uh, he (laughs) says, and well, well, what's that turtle sitting on? And she said, it's turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down, (laughs) yep. Uh, And it's a little bit like that. Where did that singularity come from? A different singularity. And where did Mm. that other singularity come from? Uh, Michael, what have you heard or read or seen in this space? Yeah, look, I mean, to me, the ultimate question is, as soon as you start to probe even just beyond, like, your own lifetime, you're starting to get into unknown territory. You know, we, we have we have history, recorded history, and, you know, mm. we, we let's say we go back 100 years ago, and we have recorded history, a lot of good, you know, good information documented, but, look, even now, so often we realise now that history is written by the winners the of winners. the battles. Mm. Um, you know, if you see history from another perspective, it's totally different. And you know, that's even with what people have recorded and have written down. So like as soon as you get beyond what you've actually seen, it starts to raise big questions. And for me, regardless what account you have of beginnings, um, that you have to have faith or belief in the person who's putting it forward. So, I mean, science tries to come up with theories that you try and extrapolate. You try and um, look for observable stuff and then extrapolate it to what you can't observe. That That's good science. But normally good science recognises as you start to extrapolate that, hey, look, we're making these assumptions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the area of origins, like scientists are very reluctant to talk about their assumptions and to acknowledge their assumptions, even though in any other area of scientific endeavour, that's so important. Like, if you know, you, you have to acknowledge your assumptions. You start just, with your assumptions. Assumptions, you start with your assumptions in, in mm. almost any other scientific endeavour. And so, yeah. like, for me, it's a question of there's lots of different ideas out there about origins. Mm-hmm. And, it's um, you know, you've got to look at how logical and sensible it is, of course. You know, ultimately, it does come down to faith at the end of the day is mm. faith in this person or that person, whether the ideas make sense. And, yeah. Mm. Professor Paul Davies, a physicist who worked, I think, at University of Adelaide as well as uh, Cambridge, uh, also in America. I I like what he says. Somebody asked him or he writes an article about where everything came from and he says everything came from nothing. 
essentially that's what we have to to come to when we purely use the scientific method because we don't have the capacity to think beyond um, I guess a, a beginning. Mm. Everything has to have a beginning in our mindset. Uh, and the reality is that evolutionary theory and the way um, that origins are described in popular culture today and popular science says that everything came from nothing. Now, you could argue with that and say, no, it was a singularity and this and that. But somewhere, someone, somehow, something had to start the process. You can't say we go back um, to infinity. It just doesn't make sense in the scientific method. You can't have something coming from nothing. So to believe that, to build your worldview around the idea that everything could come from nothing, um, as you said, Michael, that takes faith. Yeah. You're entitled to believe that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's okay. And, and you might say, well, that's silly, but well, no. I mean, we, 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 we learn, we grow, we have different ways of looking at the world. Yeah. Um, and Christians, on the other hand, say that everything came from God. God. Mm. Now that might sound silly too. That might sound ridiculous. Yep. Why would you do that? And that's what we're going to do over. If you don't know God, it sounds pretty ludicrous. That's exactly right. And uh, we're going to be exploring that over as many sessions as it takes. How can? Why would you even start with that, uh, that assumption? There is a God. Mm. I believe in God. How could we believe in God? Why would we believe in God that He made everything from nothing? The point is, though, to believe in God takes faith. Yeah. Mm. To believe in the origins of life as coming from a big bang takes faith. So it's not science versus faith, it's faith versus faith. Mm. Why would we choose uh, faith in God? That's what we're going to explore. There is no lovelier sound to be lost and to be found even more than we do now we will rejoice there is no lovelier sound to be lost than to be found even more than we do now we will rejoice jesus come come back for us we cannot wait jesus Hurry, come back, we cannot wait, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back for us, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back, we cannot wait, we cannot wait. We cannot wait alone. We will sing, we will dance too. Songs about all that you do Evermore to be with you Is all we want We will sing, we will dance to Songs about all that you do Evermore to be with you Is all we want Jesus, hurry, come back for us We cannot wait Jesus, hurry, come back We cannot wait Cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back for us. We cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back. We cannot wait. We cannot wait until at last we see your face and be holy, over glory. Until at last we see your face. We wanna see all 
come back, Lord. I can't wait, Jesus. No, I can't wait, Jesus. I can't wait, Jesus. I can't wait till you come back for me. Jesus, you come back for us. We cannot wait, Jesus. Come back, we cannot wait, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back for us, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back, we cannot wait, we cannot wait. Hurry, come back for us, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back, we cannot wait, we cannot wait, Jesus. Hurry, come back for I'm here with Michael, Brad, and my name is Christian, and we're discussing reasons why people with half a brain would even dare to believe in God in this day and age. Or even a whole brain. Or even a whole brain, yeah, for those who are a little bit more lucky. In the first segment, we were talking about the reality that the evolutionary idea of origins um, is based on the idea that everything came from nothing. And we said, that's not real science, that actually takes faith. And then what often people do is they try to find some evidence for that assumption or that statement of faith. Um, on the other hand, to believe that God made everything also requires faith. Right. So what evidence do we have and why would we even consider um, thinking, believing, accepting the assumption that there is a God and then starting to look at evidence for that? So that's what we're going to explore. Why do we believe? Why do we bother with the Bible? Why do? What evidence do we have that there is a God um, that is rational, that makes sense, um, that an intelligent young person in the 21st century could say, yeah, that makes sense. I understand that. Mm. One of the important things in academic research, what you do is you you start off with your ontology, epistemology, which is basically saying, this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. And then what you're always really encouraged to do is you follow the evidence. Mm. You know, whether it agrees or disagrees with what you're expecting, you're always encouraged to go put those aside and follow where the evidence leads you. Mm. So Absolutely. this is what we're going to be doing. And you're going to keep me accountable to that. So uh, if I go off uh, tangent or if something I say isn't illogical or rational, it doesn't make sense, uh, hey, jump in and say that's not good enough. I'll hold you to that. There has to be (laughs) a good reason why 2 billion people choose to believe the Bible and follow Jesus. I reckon there is. Good. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Bible because the Bible for us as Christians is what introduces God to us. It talks about our origins. It talks about God why we're here, uh, where we're from, and where we're going. Um, now, the Bible itself, you could look at a couple of passages like Second Timothy 3.16, Psalm 119, um, and there it tells us that the Bible claims to be authoritative. The Bible claims it is the source of truth. So when it's speaking and saying, this is the way things are. It's a bold claim, isn't it? It's a really bold claim. Uh, No, it's not an unusual claim because, in fact, every world religion makes the same claim uh, and science makes the same claim. I guess one of the differences between religion and science is that science changes
changes on a regular basis. So science's um, ideas and facts even, we were talking about this in the break, even scientific facts change because we learn new things about the world around us. Uh, religions have, have been more stable and more constant. The Bible has been around for a long time and it hasn't changed since it was first written. So why would we take the Bible's claims seriously? One of the first reasons that I'd like to explore and tease out a little bit more are the prophecies in the Bible. When you hear the word prophecy, what comes to mind? Predictions. Prediction, yeah. Can you think of some some prophecies outside of the Bible, secular predictions of people who try to predict the future in this day and age? I always like to think of whenever there's the World Cup on for football. They always have the octopus who pick one side or the other for whichever team they think is going to win. Yep, yep. Of course, it's always 50-50. It is, it is. Uh, there are clairvoyants. You open the local newspaper and you see all sorts of you know, local classified ads uh, promoting this person who can read your palm, look into your eyes, crystal ball, and so on. Um, and interestingly enough, the Bible has predictions. Uh, it has, in fact, hundreds of of predictions. Um, now, some people say Nostradamus had predictions as well. Um, and I guess this is where you can look at Nostradamus, who predicted apparently the World Trade Tower was collapsing, um, and say, well, what difference is there between biblical predictions and Nostradamus's predictions or the predictions of a clairvoyant or, or anyone else? What do you think about that? Well, just on that ground, I think when we're talking about science and scientific research, Science is, for the most part, making predictions. If you can't observe it, you are making some sort of assumption or prediction mm -hmm. as to what you think. And a really intelligent, educated person can make a lot of predictions. And if they're intelligent and well-researched enough, they can get a pretty good level of accuracy in their predictions. Mm -hmm. But there's a difference between that and all of your predictions coming true. Mm -hmm. So that's the distinction I kind of want to make in terms of when we're looking at the Bible and we're looking at scientific research because scientists make predictions all the time. Mm -hmm. every I've got day. a prophecy app on my phone. It's called Weather AU. <laughs> <laughs> it's and we know right, but not always. Yeah. It's like, but yeah. yeah. And the reality is, with algorithms and the way computers are going, they're getting better all the time because yeah. more historical data, better ways of computing it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so maybe we need to clarify uh, exactly what kind of prophecies we're talking about. I guess there's a prediction, as you said, the scientific prediction based on observable facts. If I throw a brick through a car window, what prediction can I make before throwing it? Well, if you've seen it happen before, there if you, you picked up a brick before, if you know what a window's made of, yep. put all those things together, you're probably going to think the brick's going through the window. Uh, unless it's bulletproof glass. Oh, there you go. There you go. There yeah. you go. So you <laughs> could have, even there, you could fail in your prediction, yeah. but generally, generally, you know, I tell Breaking my children, window, yeah, will smash. yeah, I can see the, uh, the oven's on and it's really hot. The glass in the oven is hot and I can tell my children if they touch it, it's going to burn them, right? Yep. Does that make me a prophet? <laughs> oh, well, it depends if they decide or not. <laughs> I guess it just says I have a little bit of life experience. Mm. Um, when we come to biblical prophecies, though, they're a little bit more than life experiences because as you look at some of the prophecies in the Bible, and we're going to explore these over the next few sessions as well. So today it's just an introduction, but there are prophecies or predictions about things that happen hundreds and thousands of years in advance. And they're things of a non scientific or non-mathematical or mechanical nature. So it's not like saying, if I've got this fantastic battery that normally runs 100 years, it's going to run for 100 years. I mean, that's, you know, that's a scientific prediction based on observable data. But it's talking about people's lives. It actually predicts people who were to be born. It even gives their names. It talks about the rise and fall of nations hundreds and even thousands of years before those nations even existed. 
It doesn't matter how good you are at politics. If I said to you, what will the world superpower be in 1500 years? How likely do you think you are to get that right? Not very well. No, wouldn't have a shot. You know. India, maybe. Well, today, I think most of us would say America would still be in. And maybe 10 years ago, that would have been a sure thing. Mm. But looking at the world today. Solomon Islands. Solomon Islands. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if the rest of the world nukes each other, and it might not. See, we just don't know. Like, these are things that are realistically impossible to predict. Yet the Bible has these kind of predictions again and again. What's the difference between biblical predictions and those of someone like Nostradamus or those that a clairvoyant does? What do you think They're they might be? pretty specific. Like, I mean, Nostradamus, ones, when you look at them, you can take them a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm. when I was a child, I remember um, coming across horoscopes in magazines. No idea what that was. Read a little bit of the introduction there, and he was saying, you know, if you're born in this month, this is what's going to happen to you. And I remember a few times reading, looking for the ones I was born, and I was thinking, wow, that's so amazing. <laughs> And then one day I thought, what if I read the other months as well? (laughs) And then I read the other months and I realized that really this so vague and so abstract that depending on what mood you're in, you can take any of those horoscopes to mean that it's going to be about you. Mm. You're going to have a good day and a bad day. Wow. (laughs) You know, that pretty much covers everybody on earth most of the days during the week. That's fine. It just means you can have a birthday every month of the year. There you go. Extra cake. There you go. So, and I'll come back to Michael's point. That is really different about biblical prophecies. As you look at them carefully, they are very precise. Mm. And many prophecies even have interpretations attached to them. So it's not only some symbols and some ideas, but then it goes on just a few verses later to say, this is what it means and this is what will happen, just in case you missed it. Just in case it wasn't clear, here it is. That's what you saw, but this is what it actually means. So the prophecies are really significant. Uh, That's, I guess, a really strong reason for someone who's searching, who's asking questions to say, you know what, it's worth giving the Bible a second look because what kind of human, what kind of system can predict things like this a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand years in advance. It really makes us say, well, there could be a higher power. There could be somebody above all this that does know the future because there's no simple explanation for someone being able to make such long-term, accurate, precise, and specific predictions. Mm, that's it. You check the track record. Absolutely. That's what it always comes down to if someone's making predictions, you know. Yeah. And what have they said before? Have they got it right? Yeah. You know, if they start getting it right, and getting it right, and getting it right, you should probably start paying attention to what else they say. Yeah, there must be something to this. Yeah, let's keep uh, exploring it. That's a really good point, Brad. Um, one of the other things I want to look at, in addition to prophecy, um, is the fact that the Bible wasn't written by a single person at a single point in time. It was written over about 1,500 years mm. uh, by dozens of authors living in different times, different cultures. And yet, as you read the Bible from beginning to end, and as you learn to understand the stories there, um, what stands out really clearly? I guess there's a central core message. It's like, I mean, it's the starting from hopelessness, um, this God's solution to that problem, and then ending up in like the hope for the future. Mm. There's a united theme. Yeah similar perspectives on God, on life, on our reason for being here. Uh, And you have to wonder, how did all these people, uh, at least 44 that we know of, who contributed to the Bible over a 1,500-year period, believe, see, and get the exact same thing, when today you can't get 10 journalists that are at the same sports event to report it in exactly the same way? 
you know, yet that's not that the authors report in exactly the same way, though, is it, Christian? It's it's they they all had their different perspectives. They came from different life backgrounds, and they they even use different styles of language. Sure. But there is a very consistent theme, and there's there's a lot of unity despite the differences in the in the people, the times they are writing, even the topics. I mean, you've got poetry books in there, mm-hmm. you've got history books, you've got prophecy books. But there's that common thread and that common theme woven throughout. Different but the same. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good point. Uh, even today, if I was to report on the same event as a, a university professor and a professional journalist, we'd be looking and reporting that particular event in a different way. Um, but if we were all eyewitnesses or had experienced the same thing, you'd expect a really strong congruence between what we share. And we see that congruence there. Another thing is the fact that the Bible has lasted as long as it has. Um, You think Mm -hmm. about it, um, there have been entire world powers, empires, conglomerations of countries, allies that have worked to destroy and to suppress the Bible. It doesn't make sense. How many times have you seen people go to war with a book? It just doesn't happen. Yet the Bible has been the object of hate from numerous world governments, dictators, despots, and we can go through one after another. If you don't know, just uh, do a Google search for world history and you'll discover that whether it's been religious hate or atheistic hate or communist hate, people have tried to suppress the Bible. It's still around. It's still here. It's still the number one bestseller. You have to say that there must be something behind it that the Bible is still here. And the Bible actually predicts that itself. That it it says, I'm going to be around. And yep. there'll be people that are going to be trying to get rid of me, but I'm going to stay around because that's what God has said. Absolutely. Two final things that give us some reasons to take the Bible more seriously. Um, one is archaeology. Every single day around the world, the archaeologists who discover new things that confirm the accuracy of the Bible. Now, that doesn't make the Bible divine because there are other historical books that are confirmed by archaeology, but it does give us a bit of credibility to say, you know what, if it actually had all these facts, all these times, all these dates, all these places right, then at least maybe we should take it a little bit more seriously. These people really did exist. Now we know there was a David, historically, and that's only a recent discovery in the last decade or two before they said, no, David never existed. We know that some of the disciples of Jesus walked and lived and breathed and talked. So these things tell us, hey, whoever wrote the Bible must have been alive, real people at real times and places because archaeology is confirming this last point change lives yeah why does that give us evidence trust confidence in the bible bible claims the supernatural element and so if it really does we should see that in people Mm -hmm. we should see that there's you know more than the human element and i believe we do absolutely you know later in this show over the next few weeks i hope to be able to interview some people who have had their lives changed by the messages of the Bible. And I think that is probably the strongest evidence. When you have people who are completely selfish, you have people who are murderers, liars, adulterers, cheats, frauds, people who are hopeless, people who are suicidal, who encounter... People who've hated the Bible and have been dead against it scientifically. Absolutely. And they encounter the God of the Bible and their lives are changed and they become a benefit to humanity without drugs without, you know, electromagnetic shock therapy or anything like that, without protracted counseling sessions, but purely by the message of the Bible, you have to say there has to be something to this that is so powerful to change lives. So reasons for believing, one, prophecy, specific long-term, long-range prophecies, the unity of themes across 1,500 years from authors of all sorts of different backgrounds, the fact that the Bible's still around when so many other books, so many nations, so many other religions are not around, it's still here, archaeology as well that confirms facts and figures and finally change lives. Again and again, 
every single day there are lives that are completely transformed by the message of the hope and the God of the Bible. So why do we believe? These reasons and more. Over the next few shows, we're going to talk about some of the prophecies of the Bible and uh, look at how specific they are. And I think you'll be amazed at the reason for faith looking at some of these prophecies. The first one we're going to look at is, is in Daniel chapter 2. You're welcome to read ahead if you'd like. Pleasure having you with us. Thank you, Michael and Brad. Nice. No Looking forward to our next chat. If you've enjoyed Why I Believe, visit us at faithfm.com.au and contact us with any questions, thoughts, comments, opinions you may have. We'd love to be able to share those on air. Thank you for staying with us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>